you found Joshua 9, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Joshua chapter 9. Let me tell you what we're going to do here. It's going to be a little bit different today. You're going to need your Bible. If you didn't bring one, uh, there's one provided for you in the pew rack. And if you don't want to use that, you can just open your phone uh, to Joshua 9. I want you to follow because we're going to spend a lot of time in this chapter. We're going to cover the whole thing. I'll read the first six verses, but we need the whole chapter to get a, a picture of the story of what is happening here in the Gibeonite deception. Let's start it in chapter 9. I'll start in verse 1 and read down to verse 6. Here's what's happening in the text. Chapter 8, Joshua and Israel have defeated Jericho and Ai. Momentum is on the rise. They are winning. Now we go to chapter 9. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Join me there. As soon, as soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country... And in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites um, and the Jebusites, as soon as they heard this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet, worn-out clothes, and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal, and they said to him, to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. Let's pause there and pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would strengthen your people, that you would give us bold hearts that love the truth, and help us to stand and to fight against evil. Lord, I pray you bring healing to those that are hurting. I pray that you would bring encouragement to those that are down. I pray that you would bring peace to those with anxiety. And I pray that you would give us a grounding now in the gospel of Jesus. Help us in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We live our lives, every one of us, we live our lives neck deep in fallenness. You can see it at every turn, whether it's an enemy that is so straightforward like the Taliban. You can look at the Taliban, you know what they're doing, you know who they are, you should know how to fight that enemy. An enemy that you can identify. Sometimes you see the fallenness and evil that you can point out. Other times... You can feel fallenness, the fallenness we live in, with things like, like COVID-19 and its variants. COVID-19 that subversively, it, see, it seeps into the air that we breathe and, and quietly gets inside and you don't even know you have it and it's inside of you from the inside out. It starts to destroy 
Sometimes, sometimes evil is clear. You can see it. You can identify it. It's straightforward. It's observable. You know how to defend yourself. You know what to do. You know the steps you're supposed to take. You can read the Bible. Those of us that are Christians, we open up the Bible. We have God's Word. And so there are some things that we clearly know Look at the Ten Commandments. We know that are wrong. We can say that murder's wrong, lying's wrong, adultery's wrong, homosexuality's wrong, we, abortion, uh, hatefulness, blasphemy. There are things we can just look in the Bible and say, yeah, that's wrong. There are other evils that seep in and sneak by trick even God's people. You have things like a, a social gospel, an easy believism, a, a sentimentality, a, a nationalistic, a, a hypocrisy, a CRT, false teachers. For the last 15 years, 20 years, We've been battling something called cultural Christianity. People think they are Christians just because they've had some sort of association with the church. And for all of those things, where they are, whether they are evils you can see and identify or evils that seep in with us unaware, J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican bishop, he looked at this passage and he says, Joshua chapter 9 should be of great practical value for all believers that are fighting the good fight of faith. He goes on to say, when you think about Satan in the Bible, you read the Bible, if you read it through, and you get a picture of Satan, you, you, you see him there pictured as one of two different kinds of animals. In the Bible, Satan is pictured as a roaring lion and a subtle serpent. As a roaring lion, he uses force and terror and scares God's people. Straightforward attacks to make us miserable. As a serpent, he uses cunning and poison to destroy. And, and I think there's a lesson to be learned from Joshua chapter 9 and what's known as the Gibeonite deception. So here's what I want to do. I'd like to take this chapter, and let's just go through it. You just follow along. That's why you need the Bible open, and you don't have to look up at me or anybody else. You just keep looking at the Bible. You just, I'll, I'll point out some things. I want you to see them for yourselves. You follow along as you go to it. Join me there in chapter 9. Victories have been won. Jericho has fallen. AI has fallen. Momentum is high. Chapter 9, verse 1. And as soon as all the kings in that area heard what was going on, verse 1 says, all of them, they decided to get together from the mountains and the, down in the flatlands over out at the coast. They all came together, those six tribes. You find them there. You see them, the, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and, and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. They all come together, verse 1 and 2, and now Joshua can't go by and pick out one town at a time. They are coming as a giant army. He's got a straightforward approach. They're coming to get him. Sometimes evil comes after you. You can identify it and know how to defend yourself. 
That's what's happening in one and two. But there was a tribe that decided to do it a little differently. We know them as the Gibeonites. We find them in verse 3 and 4. You, you look down at verse 7, you find out they're actually part of the Hivites. But Gibeonites, they, they've decided, you know what, let's not go to battle. Let's do something a little differently. We will, verse 4, we will use cunning, deception. So you see what they did, right? They, they, they had worn out baggage. They had worn out wineskins. They put their bags on their donkeys. They're worn out. They, they, they tore their clothes. Look, if you're wearing uh, jeans with holes and then you think you're fashion. The Gibeonites did it first. It's right here in the Bible. Joshua, Gibeonites did it. And so they've got worn out clothes. Their sandals don't work. They're breaking apart. And the Bible says that they come up on Israel and they say, we've come from a, from a far country. Now, how do they know? I don't know how they knew this. How did they know that Israel could make a treaty with people that lived a long way away? What they couldn't do was make a treaty with people that are close. If they're close, they had to kill them. If they're a long way, you can go read it in Deuteronomy and Exodus. Somehow the Gibeonites knew that. And they say to Israel, we've come from a long way. Make a covenant. You see it in verse 6. Make a covenant with us. They start pushing the issue. Verse 7, make a covenant with us. Verse 11, make a covenant. Joshua, verse 7 and 8. You can see it. Just look at it there. Joshua thinks, well, who? now tell me who you people are. What if you really actually live here close by? Why should I believe you? And then they, they trot out all the evidence. They say, look at our clothes. Look at our sandals. Uh, look at the wineskins. They were new. Look at the bread in our bags. When we, we, we pulled it out of the oven and put it in here. Look at it. It's all crumbled up and dry. We, we're from a long way off. And they keep pressing the issue. And verse 14 says that, and that's the circle verse. That's right in the middle. It's the nadir. It's the bottom piece. Verse 14 says that they didn't ask, didn't seek counsel, is what your translation may say. It's actually they didn't seek the mouth. It's the word mouth. They didn't seek to hear what does God say. So you read the story, they go ahead and make a covenant with these people. The, the problem is that for Israel, a covenant is bound by a holy God. They are bound to this holy God. They must stick to it. Evidently, the Gibeonites knew that Israel took this God very seriously, and they banked on that after telling all of these lies. Come down the page, verse 17 and 18, three or four days after they make the covenant, Joshua finds out. They lied to us. They pulled them out in front, and Joshua and the people of Israel, you told us a bunch of lies. Now we're bound to you. In fact, in verse 18 and 19, the Bible says that the people of Israel, they started their, their, their Monday morning quarterback and Joshua murmuring against him. He should have known better. Why did he do that? Here's the vision rising up. Joshua puts the people, listen now, we've made a, we've made a covenant to God against these liars, with these liars, these Gibeonites. We can't base the covenant on what they've done. We we're bound to God. And so they decided they can't kill the Gibeonites. They're, they would have, just like they did with Ai and Jericho, but no. Now they've promised to God they won't hurt them. And the writer here, it, the, the narrator, who wrote, whoever wrote Joshua, is looking back. These people are going to be woodcutters and water carriers. 
And, and the writer's looking back, and you find it in verse 27 as a, just as sort of a conclusion to the story. Joshua made them cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day. In other words, what he decided back then is having long-term effects. He didn't, he didn't make a good decision. And he gives for us this picture. In verses 1 and 2, you're fighting an enemy you can identify. How do you fight that enemy? And verses 3 and the rest of the story is we're fighting an enemy that, that's deceptive. How do we, how do you stand and fight today? I'd like to suggest, based on this story, here's how we fight we fight with a strong faith and a gospel determination. I want you to fight your battles with a strong faith and a gospel determination. I'm going to show you a couple of lessons that I've, I've seen. Here's, here are the things that I see. I see two, two sometimes and two always. Two sometimes, two always makes four points. Here's the first one, number one. Sometimes, sometimes evil is straightforward, isn't it? Sometimes you can identify it right off the bat. Verses 1 and 2, you see the kings that come together. All of the ites come together from that territory. Israel would know, she would know what she was up against. She would know where these kings came from. She would know what the kings were capable of. There is this obvious, blunt opposition coming at them. I mean, this is, this is partly why we feel so frustrated with what's going on in Afghanistan. We know I mean, you knew what was going to happen. So, so the thing is, sometimes evil, you actually know what it's going to do. Israel knew this is how they act. I mean, this is the story of, this is the story of the world that you and I actually live in right now. There's so many enemies that we see this very day fighting against God and against us. You feel that it? Some of you feel it at work. You, you, you work at, at a company that maybe is a large company that's having to do things to provide those things that are politically correct and political correctness continues to move in this, this devolving way. And, and so you, you're feeling the pressure there or, or possibly it could, it could be in, just in the society we live in. You look around you and you see all of the devolution of what would otherwise be seen as morality or what would be socially appropriate or our, our society's views on sexuality, they keep moving or social media or standards of that which is appropriate. You, you've seen it on the news, I'm sure, somewhere. You've got to be careful going to the public library, the public library. Because there might be a man there dressed up as a woman to read a story to your child. And we're expected to just... So the thing is, we, we know there's some of these things that come at us. We see them and you don't have to question. You know, okay, that is wrong. But how do we, how do we, how do we fight against that? How do we fight against that without standing and... and and shouting and being angry. How do we do that? I think Paul gives that to us in Ephesians chapter 6. If you read the book of Ephesians, it's a wonderful book. Went through it several years ago here at the church. 
And you get to chapter 6, there you find Paul giving us the instructions on how to stand and fight. And you get to verse 14, verse 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. He gives us all of the elements of the things we need to fight. He says that first of all, in verse 14, you, you got to put on the, the belt of truth. There is this objective reality that we hold on to that is true, and it is there at the very center of what we're wearing, holding it all together. You must have on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, that which covers all of the internal organs, the breastplate from front and back of righteousness. We understand that to be the righteousness of Christ. The gospel has taught us that Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. So we stand there with the, best, with the breastplate of righteousness. We have our feet, keep looking at Ephesians 6, we have our feet shod with the gospel of peace, the gospel which is so central to who we are. We, we fight evil with the gospel. We stand in the gospel. We believe that God is holy, that we are sinners, that Jesus Christ died on the cross in the place of sinners. God raised him from the dead. And the only way to be close to God is through faith in what Jesus has done. That's the gospel. It is what brings peace with God. That's why it is the gospel of peace. In one hand, we pick up the shield of faith. Paul says that the shield of faith is useful to extinguish the arrows. Do you see that? The the darts, the fiery darts that Satan fires at you. You've felt them. Some of you have questioned God's sovereignty. You've wondered why God is doing this, and God has given you this weapon that is a shield of faith, and you hold it up as Satan fires those fiery darts at you, and they stick into that shield and, and burn, and finally they flame out and fall off, and that shield holds. You need that kind of faith to fight. You need the shield of faith. And, and with that, you have something called the helmet of salvation. That covers, that covers your mind and heart and emotions. There's, there's the helmet that keeps you intact, the understanding that you being a Christian is dependent on God and not on you. So you have in one hand the shield of faith, and in the other hand, we find out in Ephesians 6, you have the sword of the Spirit. He says, that's the Bible. You have faith in one hand, God's Word in the other. And at the end of all of that, verse 18, Paul says, here's what you put on top of all that. You pray for all the saints. You see, sometimes the evil world that we live in takes every bit of that piece of armor. We stand there to fight. Sometimes it is a straightforward kind of evil, but not always. Sometimes it is straightforward. Let me give you a second sometimes, number two. Sometimes, sometimes evil is subversive. You see it right there in verses 3 and 4. Look at the Gibeonites. They've, they've come up on Israel, and here's what they say to themselves in verse 4. We're not going to fight them like everybody else straightforwardly. Here's what we want to do. We want to use the word as cunning. You see it in verse 4? Cunning. We want to be deceptive. We want to trick them. For, 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 for deceit to work, it has to be believable. Isn't this what Jesus said about false teachers, that, that they were actually wolves that looked like sheep? Isn't this what Paul says to us? He warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 
that, that we are not outwitted by Satan. We actually are not ignorant of his designs. Because it's Paul that says in Ephesians 6 that, that, that Satan and his schemes, Satan has tricks. Look, you may believe, and I hope you do, that God has a plan for your life. You should also believe that Satan has a plan for your life. That, that Satan has plans and schemes and tricks and traps and, and dead ends and snares. And you run along the path of life and he's built a pit for you to fall in that you don't see. God has called us to be alert and to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Because Satan will also, evil will also use the disguise. Come down the page of verse 4 and 5 and 6. You see what the Gibeonites do, they decide to make a plausible story. And so their supplies are worn out, their shoes are worn out, their bags are worn out, their food is dry and crumbly. And so the Gibeonites in verses 4, 5, and 6, they come up with a plausible story and tangible evidence with a humble demeanor. It's a believable thing. Their story is believable. I mean, in verse 7 and 8, when you read it and you keep looking at it, verse 7 and 8, Joshua and the leaders, they have their suspicions. They're like, where, now tell me again where you're from. Joshua could feel this doesn't sound right, but he just didn't press the issue far enough. Why won't God's people press the issue? You need to ask the questions. This is where we must be discerning this is what, you know, Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. This is, where we, this is where we press devotion. Certainly, you should be devoted, but we also press doctrine. This is when we talk about discipleship, and we do the foundations class on Wednesday, and we talk about discipleship next Sunday. When we talk about discipleship, we must talk in terms of community and information. When we worship together, the songs we sing and the prayers we offer up, it should be feeling, you should feel it, because you're talking to the living God, but it's feeling and truth. Why do we need that? So that we can see what is real, what is a lie, and live our lives accordingly. You see what evil does? It's, it's deceiving, it's, it's disguising, and then keep looking at verse 6 and 7. You know what evil does? Evil, evil rushes you, pushes you. Look at, look at it with me in verses 6, 7. Here's what the Gibeonites are doing. They know they're playing a trick. They somehow know that if they can get them, Israel, to make this covenant, they'll stick to it. And so verse 6, they say, make a covenant with us. Look at us, make a covenant with us. Verse 7, make a covenant. Verse 11, make a, they keep pushing and pushing the issue. If Israel makes an agreement, the Gibeonites know they will be bound to that agreement because of the name of God. Somehow the Gibeonites knew that. And they're pressing, looking for an answer. Be careful. Be careful if you are pushed or pressured to do or believe something you're suspect of. Be careful. You see, God gives us. God gave you a mind. He gave you a conscience. He gave you the ability to discern. 
So you as a child of God, here's what you start doing. You start asking questions. You just ask questions. Just start asking questions. Does this honor God? Does this, does this square with the Bible? Does this adorn the gospel? Does this help with my sanctification? Is this going to bring me closer to Jesus? If you need something to compare it to, how does this compare to the Ten Commandments? How does this compare to the Sermon on the Mount? How, can I pray about this using the Lord's Prayer? And if I do, will it bring honor to God and will He answer that? Start asking questions. You see what the enemy does? Evil starts pushing you to make a decision. If that doesn't work, and it doesn't seem to be working in the text, verse 7 and 8, Joshua and the leaders are saying, now tell me again, where are you from? You know what the enemy does? Changes tactics. The enemy will use flattery because he knows that even the best of us sometimes fall to flattery. Isn't that what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? The serpent said to Eve, you know, if you eat this, you'll be like God. The, the people in the text, the, the Gibeonites, they say to Israel, look, we, we just want to be your servants. We, you are so much greater than us. We just want to be your servant. Just make the covenant with us and we'll serve you. You're high up, we're low down. What does the writer of Proverbs say in Proverbs 29, 5? A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. It's a trap. And the worst form, the worst, come on down the page of verse 9, the worst form of it is when God is brought in. This is where it gets confusing for God's people. When God is brought in, the enemy claims to actually be a worshiper of God. The Gibeonites say in verse 9, we just want to worship. We've heard of this God, what he's done. We want to worship this God. Brothers and sisters, be careful. Everything that claims to be Christian is not Christian. Everything that claims to be of God is not of God. You need to, to ask the questions and look up underneath and, and is, this, is this discussion, is this movement, is this relationship based on the centrality of the cross of Jesus? Do we believe in the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross in the place of sinners? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe this is going to actually aid you in holy living. A hundred years ago when Christianity was having the, the same debate we have now of theological liberalism and theological conservatism, a hundred years ago a man named J. Gratian Machen, J. Gratian Machen, he was a Presbyterian, he wrote a book entitled Christianity and Liberalism. It's about a hundred pages, pick it up. And in that little book, he says that the two versions of Christianity are not actually two different kinds of Christianity. The two versions are actually two different religions. You see, sometimes, sometimes evil comes at you squarely and you can see it and identify it and you know what to do. You know how to defend yourself. Sometimes it's subversive. That's when we got to keep poking and prodding and asking. Sometimes, sometimes. Let me give you two always to finish out the day. Here's a third point, number three. You need to always, always fight evil with God's word. Always. Join me there in verse 14. 
the writer steps back and he gives us the most important verse in the entire story. He tells us in chapter 9, verse 14, here's where they made the mistake. Here's where they went absolutely wrong. Verse 14, the men took some of the provision. They looked at what was in front of them, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. They didn't ask what, does, what comes out of the mouth of God. They didn't say, what does God's Word say to this? This is where God's people go wrong. This is why it's so important for you to have a good grasp on the story of the Bible of God's creation and man's fall and then redemption and the consummation, the coming of Jesus. This is, this is why we want to teach the Bible so that you have a good, clear understanding so you can go to it and ask the question, what does God say about this issue? They didn't seek, they didn't seek the mouth of God. Isn't that what Paul tells Timothy? Paul tells the young preacher Timothy that you, you need to do your do your best to present yourself to God. This is sort of our, our Awana battle cry. You need to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Always fight evil with the word of God. Let me give something else. Another, I'll put another always on here. This will be the fourth point, number four. You need to always remain faithful. And I just would add, regardless. Get the story now. Get Joshua chapter 9. Israel has been brought into a covenant with a bunch of liars, the Gibeonites. Joshua led his people in to do that. They made a decision to, to make a covenant before an almighty and holy God based on the lies these people had told them. The, the entire agreement is built on a false premise. Now, in anybody's book, all of us here today, in anybody's book, we would think Israel would have been justified to go back. Look, the Gibeonites lied to us. We don't have to hold up iron in the bargain because they lied to us. But that's not what happened in the text. Joshua and Israel took this covenant so seriously. They took the holiness of God so seriously that even though the Gibeonites tricked them, they wouldn't go back on what they promised they would do. How do you, how do, you do it? How do you live faithfully after being treated so poorly? How do you live in the wake of someone else telling you absolute lies? Or flip the coin over. How do you live when you're caught in the framework of your own sin? I mean, the truth is, sometimes you commit these sins and they, they I mean, they wreck us for years to come. You might be living in the wake of several bad choices and mistakes and someone else's sin that has affected you so terribly, and you can just look and see there's a whole mountain of regrets. Why does God have you there? Why? 
Because He's going to display His strength in your weakness. God is going to show His grace in your sin. God is going to bring His peace into your storm. I, I mean, look, look at me now. Even, even a tragic mistake with long-term consequences can be turned to God's glory through your faithfulness. There's, there's, there's something else. One more thing. We hold up Joshua and we look at Joshua and we look at Joshua keeping the covenant and you hold it up to the light and we look through this glass dimly. We look through Joshua into the true and better Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus. And, and we can look and see Jesus actually keeping His covenant with us. Now, now look, when you look into this story, don't put yourself in this story and, and think, well, I'm kind of like Joshua. I just want to be a better leader or I want to be a part of the congregation of Israel. You and I are not Joshua and we're not Israel. If you've got to be anybody in this story, we are the Gibeonites. Lying, deceiving, tricking. And yet, our Joshua, Jesus, because of His grace, He's made the covenant and He keeps it. Because of the grace of God given to us at the cross of Jesus, the covenant is kept and we are saved. N not by you either being a liar or not one, but by the faithfulness of our Savior. Now this morning, I want you to just come with me for a moment and, and just pray. I want you to bow your heads for a moment and listen to the questions I'm going to ask you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Will you today, will you commit this morning to fighting the good fight of faith? Here's what I mean. When we sing, I want you, will you commit to growing as a disciple of Jesus? Or, or maybe you'd like just to pray and say, I want to I commit to finding out how to learn and know God's Word. Will you today, some of you are wounded so badly, will you just, I'm asking you to commit to trust. Will you trust God to sustain you while you live in the wake of somebody's terrible mistake. This is the gospel we believe, that our holy God created us in His image. That image in us is disfigured. God loves us to the degree He sent Jesus to live perfectly, die on the cross as a substitute. God raised Him from the dead in victory. <clears throat> our gospel says, turn and believe that. This morning when we sing, I just want to invite any of you that would like to come and pray to do so. Any of you that want to talk to a pastor, our pastors will be down here. When we sing, that'll be the time to respond. Father, thank you for the grace you've given us in Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sustaining care. Thank you for the covenant that you keep. I pray you draw people to yourself today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.